welcome you today to Longmont Nazarene Church online, and thank you for joining us. Um, as we begin today, just some um, quick things I need our church family to know. Um, we announced last week that we'll be uh, having our annual elections via uh, mail. We'll be mailing ballots out to each one of you. And in that envelope, you will find a return envelope so you can mail your ballot back to the church. But also, uh, there's a letter with instructions about exactly how we want you to do this. But encourage you to read through that so that um, everyone is able uh, to have a vote. Also, uh, I told you last week as we began that we would be doing or partaking in communion together uh, during the message this week um, and would encourage you uh, to go ahead and get your elements ready so that they're available when we share in communion together. I want to open with prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you today so grateful that you are a living Lord. Um, we thank you for the work of your Spirit in our lives and, and in our world. We thank you that you are actively, actively at work today, even in the difficult times that we're dealing with. Father, we know that there are a lot of people out there who are living in fear because of what's happening with the economy, because of the coronavirus itself. Um, and we believe that this is an opportune time to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the peace and freedom and joy that he can give. I also want to thank you that we have the opportunity, even though we cannot gather together, to continue to share the good news uh, online through the technology that you have provided for us. And I want to thank you for each person who's tuned in today and those who have tuned in over the last few weeks. Father, I pray that you would move into each one of those homes. I pray that you would speak to hearts through the truth of your word today. And I ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you probably do not recognize the name Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin, nor should you. But during his day, he was as powerful a man as there was on earth. A Russian communist leader, he took part in the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, was editor of the Soviet newspaper Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and was a full member of the Politburo. His works on economics and political science are, are still read today. There's a story told about a journey he took from Moscow to Kiev in 1930 to address a huge assembly on the subject of atheism. Addressing the crowd, he aimed his artillery at Christianity, hurling insult, argument, and proof against it. After an hour, he was finished. He looked out at what seemed like the smoldering ashes of men's faith. And he said, Are there any questions? Deafening silence filled the auditorium. But then, one man approached the platform and mounted the lectern, standing near the communist leader. He surveyed the crowd first to the left and then to the right. Finally, he shouted the greeting, 
known well in all Christendom. He is risen. And mass, the crowd arose as one man and the response came crashing like the sound of thunder. He is risen indeed. I say to you today, Christ is risen. I am convinced. I have faith that Jesus was dead and that he was buried. That I believe. But this too... I accept as true. He rose from the dead and will come again in glory. Easter is not only about the resurrection, it is also about the cross. There is no resurrection if Jesus does not die on the cross. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we find these words. As the time came for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out, for Jerusalem. Jesus deliberately set out to initiate the circumstances that would lead to his death. At this point in Jesus' ministry, the, the cross no longer loomed in the background, but came into clear focus. This is an interesting moment in, in the life of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus is walking through this life preaching, teaching, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, making the, whole lame, the, the lame whole, healing the deaf and the blind, raising the dead, casting out demons, and mentoring to a group of 12 men. Everything Jesus is doing is important. The Savior has a very busy schedule and is in demand everywhere He goes. Jesus had places to go, people to meet, and things to do. And then suddenly, at a point in time, Something happens. In just that moment, Jesus was called to Jerusalem. Jesus lived every moment of his life knowing the specific purpose and specific destiny of his life. He knows there is no greater reason for his coming to earth than to ultimately go to Jerusalem. When it came to accomplishing his Father's will for his life, Jesus didn't need a map, a compass, or a GPS. Jesus had a calling on his life, and he was faithful and steadfast to that calling. Oh, there were so many things that could have delayed or distracted him from what he had come to do. There was so much to teach, so many that needed healing. The needs of people were so great. His disciples had so much to learn. And then... What about the desire expressed by so many to make him king? But he would not be deterred. Nothing would distract him from his mission. There was no changing his mind. From this point on, nothing else mattered as much as going to Jerusalem. Folks, Jesus had resolve. Jesus had determination that he would not waver or be distracted from that which was his ultimate mission. Jesus knew he had to go to Calvary and die on the cross for our sins. Jesus had a divine destiny, a divine appointment to, to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the only person who was born so that he could die. Or we all die at some point, but that is not ultimately our purpose for being here. But Jesus, he lived so that he could die. He knew 
that the cross could not not be undone. Did you hear that? He knew that the cross could not not be undone. In other words, the cross had to happen. In Hebrews chapter 9, we find these words. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and He will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Jesus knew that there was no other way. He didn't have to die. It was His choice. His life was not taken from Him. He chose to lay it down. In Matthew 26 53, Jesus said, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? That verse reminds me of the old hymn that said, He could have called ten thousand angels to destroy the world and set Him free. He could have called ten thousand angels, but He died alone for you and me. Praise God. In his book, And the Angels Were Silent, Max Lucado writes, Forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation. Ignore any speculation that the cross was a last-ditch attempt to salvage a dying mission. For if these words tell us anything, they tell us that Jesus died on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. No, the journey to Jerusalem didn't begin in Jericho. It didn't begin in Galilee. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. The journey to the cross began long before. As the echo of the crunching fruit was still sounding in the garden, Jesus was leaving for Calvary. Christ's love for us is so great that he could do nothing else but offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And before I continue with today's message, I think it's important that we take time, as Jesus commanded us, to remember what it cost him to bear our sins on the cross. In a few moments, we will be partaking of communion together. We are instructed in 1 Corinthians 11.28, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Communion only honors God and becomes truly meaningful for those who have experienced the forgiveness of sins and have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to take just a moment to allow you to quiet your hearts before him and ask him to examine your heart. And I would say, if you have never accepted Jesus as Savior, if you have never appropriated what he did for you on the cross when he bore the full brunt of God's wrath for your sin and mine, if you know that now is the time, 
then repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I know that I deserve the punishment you bore for me on the cross. I confess to you that I need a Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. Help me to turn from my my own rebellious ways and walk with you in obedience and faith. I choose to turn my life over to you. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you have been forgiven of your sins and have received the gift of eternal life. And I would love you to let me know. If you're looking at this on our website, there's information there about how you can contact us at the church. Our, our uh, web address is longmontnazarene.com. And if you'd like to contact me personally, my email is pastorsid at longmontnazarene.com. Now let's, let's get the elements ready. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same way, after after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever been late? I mean, there's late and there's too late, right? Here's some examples of too late. You rush up to the counter at the airport. I'm supposed to take flight 1067 to Chicago and the ticket agent says, I'm sorry, sir, you're too late. Flight 1067 left five minutes ago. You walk into Safeway with your $10 off 50 pounds of dog food and the the clerk says, I'm sorry, ma'am, you're too late. That offer expired last week. You rush into the professor's office to turn in that paper that you waited all semester to finish, and he says, I'm sorry, you're too late. The deadline was 4 o'clock yesterday. A friend calls you up and asks you to come over and help them with a project that needs an extra set of hands. You promise that you'll be there in an hour or so after you finish something that you're working on, and when you get there, your friend says, you're too late. I figured out how to do it myself. Have you ever had one of those too late experiences? Did you know Jesus had a too late experience? Well, at least that's what everyone thought. Here's what happened. And let me share with you a passage from John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' friends, Martha and Mary, sent a messenger to let Jesus know that their brother Lazarus was very sick. In fact, by the time Jesus received the message, Lazarus had probably already died. However, however, rather than rushing back to the town of Bethany to be with Mary and Martha, Jesus continued his ministry for two more days before going to be with them. By the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. When Jesus was at the edge of town, Martha heard of Jesus' arrival and went out to greet him. And the first words out of her mouth were, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. On the one hand, her statement indicates her faith in the ability of Jesus to heal. If you were here, Jesus, you would have been able to heal Lazarus. But also implied in this question is, why didn't you come when we told you our brother was sick? Where were you? Events did not happen the way Martha and her sister Mary anticipated that they would. In their minds, they must have thought, surely Jesus would show up and save the day. He will make everything better. He will heal our brother. But that isn't what happened. Jesus didn't make it to Bethany in time. In fact, Jesus purposely delayed his trip for two extra days so that he wouldn't show up until four days after Lazarus died. Life was not going the way that Mary and Martha hoped. Their brother wasn't supposed to die. After all, he was Jesus' friend. How could Jesus allow something like this to happen to a friend? So again, Martha's greeting, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again. Martha understands Jesus to mean that her brother will be raised in the resurrection at the last day. At this point, Jesus makes an astounding statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus is life, He can give and sustain life. In John chapter 5, verse 26, it says this, The Father has life in Himself, and He has granted that same life-giving power to His Son. In 1 John 5.12 we read, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus is the author of life. He helped God create the world in the beginning. He had a hand in creating you and me. And in John 1.14 it tells us, In Him, Jesus is life. It should not surprise us that nothing is impossible for Him. He can bring the dead back to life. And then later in the same story, we read this. John, again, chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and orders them to move the stone away. And it was Martha who was the first one to protest. But Lord, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Even though she believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, she still doubted his power to bring life out of death. Sure, Jesus had the power to heal, but this was different. According to early Jewish writings, they believed that a soul of a, of a person did not leave their body until three days after their death. After three days were up, the soul left and they were gone for good, or at least until the final day of resurrection. Lazarus had been dead for four days. In Martha's mind, not even Jesus, no act of God could bring her brother back to life. He was too far gone. And Jesus' response to Martha's protest, he said, If you believed, you would see the glory of God. Jesus was saying, if you believe I am the resurrection and the life, you will move this stone away from the tomb and you will witness the power and glory of God. You have to love what happens next. They move the stone and Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And out he came, dead for four days, wrapped in grave clothes. He emerged from the tomb alive and well. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus proved that nothing was impossible for him. Even death can be overcome because he is the resurrection and the life. And now, just days later, Jesus has been crucified. He's died. And he himself has been sealed in a tomb. And let's read that account from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, it tells us. And she was concerned. She had thought she thought someone had taken Jesus' body. You know, there have been people who have predicted the time of their own death. But there has only been one person who not only predicted the time of his death, but also the the day of his resurrection, and that person is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, Jesus revealed this to his detractors. He, He said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The statement that Jesus made to Martha would be nothing had he not risen from the dead. After all, even the prophet Elijah, Elisha had raised a boy from the dead. Maybe Jesus was just another prophet. On that day, when Jesus rose from the grave, it was like an exclamation point on Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus demonstrated that he didn't just have power to bring people back from the dead only to die once again. Lazarus was given life, but eventually he would die again. But Jesus' resurrection proved that he had power over the grave and death itself. When Jesus resurrected, he didn't have a body which would wear out and die again. Jesus had a new body, a resurrected body, a new life which which death could never conquer again. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who He says He is and can do what He says He can do. And I believe that Jesus wants us to realize the very power of resurrection and life that is in Him. He is alive today and the resurrection and life are available to us if we will just believe. Jesus wants us to know that there is hope in any and every situation because He lives. Max Lucado in his book Six Hours One Friday tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river. The tribe was in need of medical attention. A contagious disease was ravaging the population. People were dying daily. A hospital was not too terribly far away across the river, but the Indians would not cross it because they believed that the river was inhabited by evil spirits. 
and to enter its waters would mean certain death. The missionary explained that he had crossed the river and was unharmed, but they were not impressed. He then took them to the bank and placed his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in. He walked into the water up to his waist and splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he dove in the river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. Having proved the power of the river to be a farce, the missionary punched a triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. The Indians broke into cheers and followed him across. And then Lucado goes on to say that's exactly what Jesus did. He told people of his day that they need not fear the river of death, but they wouldn't believe. He touched a dead boy and called him back to life. They still didn't believe. He whispered life into the body of a dead girl and got the same result. He let a dead man spend four days in a tomb and then called him out. And the people still didn't believe him. Finally, he entered the river of death and came out on the other side. Jesus Christ has won the victory over death by his resurrection. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, death has lost its sting. We have the promise of eternal life, resurrect life, because He is the resurrection and the life. That, folks, is worth celebrating. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you were willing to give the very best you had in Jesus, your Son, who came, walked among us, experienced all that we experience in life, showed us, Father, your great heart. He came to defeat the works of the devil and eventually did that by laying down his life on a Roman cross. He shed his blood that we might know forgiveness of sins. But we're so thankful, Father, today that the story does not end there. For we know that Jesus was placed in a tomb. A stone was rolled over the entrance to that tomb. But on the third day, those who showed up that early morning found that that stone had been removed from the entrance. Jesus was no longer there. He had risen just as He had promised. He lives today. We serve a living Savior. We say hallelujah, Lord God. Thank You for what You have done for us through Jesus Christ. We can know not only the forgiveness of sins, but life that's truly life in this life and life eternal. We praise your holy name. We give you thanks. And again, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may God bless you. I pray that you all have a joyful Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for tuning in.